uh, beginning a new series uh, called Beyond Belief. And uh, on your seat, there should have been one of these, um, at least we have them on every other seat. We have some more at the back door if you didn't get one, one of these Bible reading plans. This is something that we do, we try to do regularly here at Tri-Cities Church as we do these Bible reading plans that go along with the different series that we are teaching through. And so it has, this one's a little different than the previous ones. It has uh, four different weeks, and it has five days for each week, five readings for each week. Um, and so on the back, you can see that. Um, and it's just, it, it's been such a blessing in my life. If I can tell, I think I talked about that a little bit before. Um, it's been a, such a blessing in my life and the life of uh, my wife as we read these scriptures together um, and we discuss them a little bit before we go to bed at night. And so it's just been a wonderful time. I, I, I actually, um, I put this thing together and I, I put it together because I say um, it's just great to be able to dig deeper into the scriptures and go deeper into what we're studying on Sunday morning. Um, and I did not realize that it would be so beneficial for me because I've already kind of read the scriptures and putting this together, but, uh, but it's so beneficial for us to read them together. So let me encourage you to, to do that, to make an effort to, to read through this and to, um, to read those scriptures and, and to ask questions. What, what is going on here? I don't understand this. And even if you have a question that you don't have an answer to, listen, feel free to ask me, ask Jamie. Um, ask ask uh, even Stacy and Blair in the back, back by the back door. They're great people um, to ask these questions. Ask the questions to somebody. Ask them to just a friend, and and wrestle with the questions that are in Scripture. Uh, wrestle with them together because that's an important thing that we do. I have one announcement before we get into the message um, on this uh, this Connect card that should have been on the seat as well. Um, we are having our first partnership class here at Tri-Cities Church on June 9th, and it'll be immediately after service. And it'll last, um, it, so it'll be immediately after service. I'm thinking it'll start around 1230, and we should be out by 3 o'clock. We'll have lunch and all, and then we'll begin teaching through uh, what it means to be a partner of Tri-Cities Church. And that'll be an important class, even if you say, I don't, I don't understand what that means, I don't, I don't know exactly what that is. Um, it'll be an important thing to just come and learn uh, more about the culture of Tri-Cities Church, who we are, our identity, our vision, um, how we came into existence, and what our, our plan is for the future. And so if you're available on June the 9th, I would love to have you here uh, for that class. We're just immediately after service, we'll go downstairs, we'll have uh, lunch together, and then we'll immediately jump into the information on what it means to partner with Tri-Cities Church and to partner with God in God's mission here in the Tri-Cities area. And so on this card, if you notice, there's things you can check at the bottom. There should be one that you can say, I would like this, a third one, I would like to sign up for the upcoming City Partners class. If you could do that, and you can drop that as well in the buckets when we take uh, communion. Also, you can sign up for that class on our website if you go to tricitieschurch.com. And uh, you click the resources tab. There should be a, a form where you can sign up for that class there as well. All right, so let's jump into this series and um, let's please pray with me first. God, we are uh, thankful for this morning. God, we're thankful that you, are, that you are awesome, that you're indescribable, that you are amazing that we can tell stories of who you are and what you've done, that we can share these stories, that we can keep a record of how faithful you have been so that we can anticipate what it would be like to live in your faithfulness into the future. And so, God, we're thankful for you and for all that you've done for your blessings and allowing us to gather as your church in freedom. 
And as we read your word, God, I just pray that you guide us into it, that you guide us into understanding, that you guide us into truth, that you help us to wrestle with it in a way that's helpful and beneficial, in a way that we find application, and then we ask for the boldness to live it out. It's in your Son, Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. All right, so this morning we're beginning this new series called uh, Beyond Belief. And really what we're doing is we're talking about the next steps in the Christian life. Now this is one of my, I guess it's a mantra or a theory of sort that I've talked about before in relation to a different area, but I think it has application here as well. And that is if we hold anything up to our face or if we focus too closely on any one thing, everything else gets blurry. And the best illustration of that is if you hold your hand up to your face closely, everything else in the surrounding area becomes blurry. You can't really see it. You can't focus. If you focus too heavily on one thing, you can't focus on multiple things. Now, historically, the church has focused on belief, getting people to the point of belief, conversion, telling people the story of Jesus Christ and trying to seal the deal, get people to believe in Jesus and who he is. And sometimes we focus so heavily on that that the next steps in the Christian life have become blurry. We have people who have been baptized, who believe and have been baptized, and now they're asking the question, what next? What, what comes after this? What does it look like to be a Christian? What does it look like to walk this life? to go through this journey. And so that's what we're trying to do in this series. We're trying to answer that question, what next? What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? What does that look like beyond belief? Because we get to that point, and the essential thing is that our journey with Christ doesn't begin and end with belief. It's essential that we grasp that, and we see the need for us to go deeper in our faith and deeper in our relationship with God and deeper into these next steps. And so for the next four weeks, we'll be looking at four different next steps, right? And these aren't linear steps that you're you're almost like a step, like a staircase that you, you pass one and you leave that one behind. They aren't linear in that sense that we're going from beginning to end, but it's that we take a step, that we embrace that step, and then we go deeper into that step. And we go deeper into that step for the rest of our lives, right? So it's not like I I establish uh, or I make this step and now I'm done with it. It's in the past, on to the next one, right? But no, as I make that step and now I'm going deeper, now I'm growing in it and going deeper. Like, for instance, this morning we're talking about connecting with God through a relationship. Right? And it's, a relationship isn't something that we connect with God through a relationship. We've established this relationship with God, and now we're through, right? And we just move on. But we establish a relationship with God, but then we go deeper in that relationship, right? We progress in that relationship. And so for each step, it's not just about taking the step and being finished with that step once we've taken it, but it's about growing deeper into that step. And so this morning, we're talking about connecting with God through a relationship. Now, commonly in the church, you'll hear people say or talk about having a relationship with God, right? That's something that you may have heard, you may have said yourself. It's part of kind of Christian jargon or Christianese, as some people may want to call it, right? We, we talk about that, that we, we, um, we have this relationship with God, and it's deepening, and it's growing, and it's developing, but, but very rarely do we define what a relationship with God is. Very rarely do we write out or talk about what exactly that means. 
And so this morning, I want us to kind of walk through what it, what it means, what it looks like for us to be in a relationship with God, how that plays out in our life beyond belief. When we get beyond the point of belief and we begin to establish a relationship with God, what does that look like? How does that play out? And how should we think about that in our everyday life? And so there's really, I think, three points that I want you to see this morning as we walk through what it means to be in a relationship with God. The first thing I want you to see is that a relationship with God expresses God's greatness. And a relationship with God will always express God's greatness. Now, God is a great God. He's a big God. He's a powerful God. We sing of God's praises, and sometimes when we come in here and we sing these songs of praise to God, they they express how big and how powerful and how great God is. The Bible tells us that we, our minds cannot comprehend. We cannot wrap our, our minds around the greatness, the bigness, the majesty, the glory of God Almighty. The Bible says no matter how hard we try, there's nothing that we can do in and of ourselves to comprehend God's magnitude, how big and great and amazing he is. But a relationship with God expresses God's greatness. The Bible does teach us that God has placed his fingerprint upon all of creation. And a fingerprint always points to the reality and the identity of something bigger than itself. A a fingerprint is always evidence that there's something bigger, something more complicated, something better out there somewhere. And so the Bible teaches that God has placed his fingerprint all over creation. And there's different ways that we see that, and there's different ways that we experience it in our everyday life. For some of us, we've experienced God's fingerprint in the great outdoors, right? Yesterday, I spent almost the entire day outside. I woke up, I think it was 55 degrees yesterday morning. That was amazing, right? The sun was shining. The weather was great. It was a perfect day to be outside. I spent most of the day out there, right? And, I, and you can experience God's greatness there. there God's fingerprint is all over creation. In the great outdoors, some people go up into the mountains. I was reading these stories about people who are climbing Mount Everest and saw this picture up from the top of Mount Everest. And it's incredible. God's fingerprint is there. And that's what people are alluding to when they talk about having a spiritual experience when they're in the outdoors or when they're out in creation or when they're at the top of the mountain. That They they sense that there's something about God that is there, even though they might not be able to put their finger on it, though they might not be able to fully grasp what it is, there's something spiritual about being there because there's evidence of God there. God's fingerprint is all over creation. Some people experience God's fingerprint in art. Maybe it's a, a painting of some sort, uh, or, or maybe it's music, which is, which is art. Maybe it's in a song that you experience God, or, or you see evidence of God there. I like this uh, quote by Bach, uh, a classical composer. He says, the aim and final end of all music should be none other than the glory of God and the refreshment of the soul. Right? Some of you are musicians and you experience that. You can sit and listen to music all day and it calms your soul and it provides peace for you. And you might even describe it as being a spiritual experience. God's fingerprint is there. We experience God's fingerprint in creation in many different ways. Our experience, well, I didn't really experience it totally, but uh, when my niece was born, Madison, 
This was the first time that I ever saw a newborn baby. And I came to the hospital just moments after she was born, and they placed her in that, that holding cell kind of a room, right? It's this room with all the glass windows. And I remember coming, and I remember the last time I had seen my sister, she was here, and now she was there on, on the table. And I remember coming into that room and pressing my face up against the glass in there, just dumbfounded by the miracle of life. Right? That was a spiritual experience. There's evidence of God there. God's fingerprint is all over the birth of a child. And some of you have experienced that firsthand, and I never will. But you know that, <laughs> you know that there, there's something about God that's there, that there's evidence of God in the birth of a child. The reality is God has placed his fingerprint all over creation. And his fingerprint points to the reality and the identity of something much bigger and much grander than itself. And I think the question for us is, where do we see God's fingerprint? I like Romans 1 verse 20. It says, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, having been understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. It's saying that there's obvious evidence that God exists in creation itself. In God's created order, there's obvious evidence that God exists. You see, God's fingerprint positively identifies God. Just as a fingerprint that if a, a crime scene investigator goes and finds a, a fingerprint, it identifies who that fingerprint belongs to. God's fingerprint positively identifies God. When we see it, it says that there is a God out there somewhere, but we have no way of gaining any kind of conclusive or absolute evidence of who God is or knowledge about God from his fingerprint. Instead, when we spend time in the outdoors or when we go up to a high mountain or when we listen to music or when we take in art, whatever form that may be in, when we witness the birth of a child, we must allow that to drive us to Scripture, to drive us to the truth of who God is, to the evidence that is there, to dig deeper and to research and to investigate and find out who God is because you can sit outside on a mountaintop, and you can stare at the valley all day long, and it will not teach you for sure who God is. But the Bible says that's God's fingerprint. That's evidence that God exists. He placed it there so that we might seek him, so that we might find him, so that we might have a relationship with him. You see, the reality is God's fingerprint is all over our lives. God has chosen to use us, human beings, as evidence that there is a God and that God exists. You see, more than any other created thing, our lives ought to point to God's existence. And it's in the scriptures that we learn what God's fingerprint looks like. We learn how this plays out in our life. We learn what this means for us to be the fingerprint of God, to point to God. Because whenever we're in a relationship with God, a relationship with God will always express the greatness of God. It will always point to God's greatness. And so the question for us is, how is my life pointing to the greatness of God? How is God's greatness on display in my life? That's an important question for us to ask. And then the next question is, how might I more fully display God's greatness in my life? 
Because it's not just the step and asking the question, how is God's greatness on display? But how might I more fully, how might I, make, how might I grow in that? How may I go deeper into that? How can my relationship with God develop in this way? And so that's a question that I think we need to ask ourselves every morning. Right? How might I today more fully express God's greatness? How might my life more fully tell of how great God is? We have to wrestle with that. Even though it may be difficult and challenging, and even though it may pose a challenge for us, and we may have answers that we really don't want to wrestle with, the reality is we have to wrestle with how our lives can more fully display the greatness and the power and the majesty of God. And so that's the first thing. The first thing I want you to see is that a relationship with God always expresses God's greatness. The second thing I want you to see is that a relationship with God responds to God's humility. And it responds to God's humility with humility. You see, the Bible teaches us that Jesus became man, that God became man, flesh and blood, in Jesus Christ. Jesus was God in human form. A key verse here is Philippians chapter 2. And I'm going to start reading in verse 5. It says, In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be uh, t- something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue acknowledged that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The scripture saying that Jesus existed before he became man, flesh and blood on earth. And the, the theological word for this is incarnation. He came in the flesh. God came in the flesh as Jesus Christ upon the earth. God humbled himself. He traded one place to make his home here. He traded his home in heaven to make his home upon earth the earth. God humbled himself and became a servant of creation. That's a powerful thing when we grasp that. That God, great God, the God who our lives are created to point to, the God who's placed his fingerprint all over creation, chose to become a part of his creation and to serve it. And the most powerful illustration of this in the scriptures is when Jesus got down on his hands and knees and began to wash his disciples' feet, which is much different than washing our feet because our feet are covered with shoes and we don't walk in the dirt and all that kind of stuff. But um, it was an amazing illustration of God's decision to humble himself. And the Bible tells us that that's our paradigm. That's an example for us that we were created to, like Jesus, humble ourselves and serve other people. You see, Jesus set the paradigm for the Christian life. And when we choose humility and sacrifice, we deepen our relationship with God. When we choose to live as God lived, to be imitators of God, to sacrifice, 
and, and to humble ourselves, to serve others, our relationship with God is deepened because a relationship with God always responds to God's humility with humility. You see, God, God, and God promises that those who humble themselves, like Jesus, will be raised up. And that's where the paradigm follows through all the way. You see, in that scripture that I read in Philippians chapter 2, it says that Jesus humbled himself. He took on the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. He found himself in appearance as a man. But then in verse 9, it says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And so he chose to humble himself to become a servant of creation, and God exalted him. And that paradigm follows through into our lives as well, that when we build our relationship with God by humbling ourselves, taking on the nature of a servant, serving others, sacrificing for the good of others, just as Jesus did, that God will exalt us, that God will raise us up. You see, God's system is one of spiritual devotion and sacrifice and not self-promotion. It's not about lifting ourselves up and trying to find ourselves in a higher place, but it's about making ourselves low just as Jesus did, serving others so that God will raise us up. In 2 Timothy 2 verse 11, it says, here's a trustworthy saying, if we die with him, we will also live with him. Right? If we give it all up for him, we will also live with him. You see, humility and sacrifice is the foundation, and this is key for us here at Tri-Cities Church. It's the foundation of unity and diversity. It's the foundation of it. You cannot have unity in diversity without hu- humility and sacrifice. And the Bible is always pushing us towards unity and also towards diversity. You see, God created humans diverse. God's entire creation is diverse. I, I love to, um, to, and this is kind of awkward, I imagine, and probably for the people that I'm looking at, but I, I love to stare people in the faces, right? Um, because the face seems so simple. It's round, it has a mouth, has a couple of eyes, and a nose, two ears, right? It seems so simple. But you can look at face after face after face. You can look at millions of faces, and no two faces look the same, except on rare occasions when they're twins. Um, but there's such diversity just in the human face. And it's a reminder that God created his creation to be diverse. Diversity is a given. It's not something that we have to work for it to exist. God created it so that it does exist, and then he calls us to unity in Christ. And so he says that there's one from one, one walk of life, one race, one ethnicity. There's another from another culture, different race, different ethnicity. There's another from another race, different, all three different faces, different people from different backgrounds. He calls us to unity in Christ Jesus. And that requires that we be willing to sacrifice. That requires that we are willing to humble ourselves. You see, the Bible instructs us to do this, to value others above ourselves. That's the principle here. Value others above yourselves. In Philippians 2, the the chapter I was just reading from, a couple of verses before what I was reading, in verse 3 it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. 
Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but to the interest of others. That's the key. It's saying sacrifice for the interest of others. And when we as a community of believers, when we as a church choose to do that, we will learn that there's a place for people from every race, every ethnicity, every culture in this space, worshiping God together. And the scriptures tell us that that is powerful evidence of who Jesus Christ is, his authenticity, authenticity, and what he has chosen to do through his church, the community of believers. The Bible calls us to unity in diversity. Diversity is a given. It exists in creation, but unity is not a given. It's intentional. We have to work at it. We have to choose to do it. Just as Jesus chose to make his home here, he chose to humble himself. The scriptures teach us time and time again that we must humble ourselves so that the diversity that God wills in creation can be seen in the church. And so the second thing that being in relationship with God means is that a relationship with God responds to God's humility with humility. And when we do that, we find unity happening in diversity. The third thing I want you to see is that a relationship with God capitalizes on God's closeness. It capitalizes on God's closeness. In the scriptures, we see that Jesus became man. He lived with human beings. He developed relationships. He had friendships with people. He became close to people. Jesus didn't hold people at a distance He invited them into his life. He chose to come close to to people, to human beings, and have these friendships just as we have friendships. He traveled with his disciples, his friends. He lived with his disciples, his friends. And some of you know this, that when you live with something, you learn more about them than you ever thought that you could, right? Right? There's all kinds of things that you learn when you move in with someone. Jesus traveled and lived with his disciples. He really did life with them. He wasn't just in a small group with them, right? He were really doing life together. They were sharing life experiences as a human. He became close to his disciples. And when he was getting ready to go to the cross, in one of his final conversations with his disciples, his friends, he assured them, that he wasn't just abandoning them to be alone, but that he would be with them always, just in a different kind of way. In John chapter 14, I'm going to read this from the message version of the Bible. Uh, In verse 12, it says this, and this is Jesus talking to his disciples. He says, believe me, I am in my Father, and my Father is in me. If you can't believe that, believe what you see. These works, right? Jesus' miracles. Believe these works. The person who trusts in me will not only do what I am doing, but even greater things because I, on my way to the Father, am giving you the same work to do that I have been doing. You can count on it from now on, whatever you request, along the lines of who I am and what I've been doing, I will do it. That is how the Father will be seen for who he is in the Son. I mean it. 
Whatever you request in this way, I'll do it. If you love me, show it by doing what I've told you. I'll talk to the Father. He'll provide you another friend so that you will always have someone with you. This friend is the spirit of truth. The godless world cannot take him in because it doesn't have eyes to see him, doesn't know what to look for, but you know him already because, you've, because he's been staying with you and will even be in you. You see, Jesus says, I'm, I'm not leaving you alone to his disciples, but I will be with you in spirit. In other words, he talks about this is the, the spirit of God or the Holy Spirit that we talk about. That he says, I'm giving you my spirit, the spirit of God to be with you, to empower you, to not just be witnesses of what I've done, to, but to be co-workers with me and to do the very things that I have done. You see, there's a huge transition that happens here that the disciples, Jesus' friends, Jesus' followers go from just being witnesses, people who have a story about what they've seen and what they've heard in Jesus, to being workers, people through whom God's Spirit is working and accomplishing great things on this earth. You see, there's a big change that happens here. God is calling us not just to witness not just to say, I came and I saw, and God is great, and God is good, and he's magnificent. But I came, I saw, and now I've been sent to do the work of God myself. That's what's happening here. Jesus is saying, not only now I'm not with you in the flesh, no longer are you responsible for just looking at me and following me and watching what I've done, but you're responsible for living it out. You see, God is great and mighty, while at the same time, he's humble and close. And he didn't leave his disciples to try to figure it out, but he placed his spirit in them that he might help them, that he might walk with them, that he might empower them. And a relationship with God always recognizes how close God is and capitalizes on God's closeness. And the question, I think, for us is this. It is if God is close to us, if God is with us always, how then should we respond? And the scriptures are always teaching us to pray to God, to have these conversations with God, to share with God what's happening in our lives. Okay, I just want to share with you three scriptures. In Psalm um, verse 34, or chapter 34, verse 17, it says this, The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. In James 5, verse 13, it says this, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone sick? Let them call on the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they've sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective. And then in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 17, it says this, very simply, pray continually. Pray continually. Because God hasn't left us. He hasn't abandoned us. He's close and wants to help us to walk in the ways of God. And a relationship with God always capitalizes on God's 
closeness. Now I know for many, and I've been there, that prayer can make us feel a little uncomfortable, especially when you talk about praying in public. But let me encourage you that prayer is not some magic formula. It's not some particular method that you have to have just right. But it's about capitalizing on God's closeness. It's about realizing how close God is, and whatever is on your heart, you can say it to God. I love what Stanley Hauerwas, he has an interesting name, but Stanley Hauerwas, he's a professor at Duke University. He says the prayers God wants are our prayers. The prayers God wants are our prayers. God doesn't want somebody else's prayer. God doesn't want you trying to put on a performance for other people. God doesn't want you to fill your prayer with flowery language so that you might mimic someone else or something else that you've read. God wants your prayer. God wants what's in your heart. God is close. He wants us to communicate with him. You see, prayer is about telling God what's on your mind. It's about revealing to God what's in your heart. And then there's times when prayer is about sitting still, and sitting silent with, before God when we can't figure out what we want to say, but we know that we need God's help. You see, it's not a magic formula, but it's simply communicating with God and talking to God and expressing the very concerns that are on our heart. You see, God is more concerned with the earnestness of our prayer than with his eloquence. So let's not get wrapped up in this idea that we have to pray this eloquent prayer and pick the right words. God knows the very depths of our heart, and he hears us. And a relationship with God will always capitalize on God's closeness. It will say, God, I know that you're here with me. Use me to do your work. You are great, and my life expresses that. I'm trying to express it more clearly day to day. I'm trying to grow in greater depth than that. You became low. You humbled yourself. And I'm trying to respond to that by being humble myself. And it's saying, you are close to me. You've not left me. You are here. Even though I can't see you, you've promised that you would never leave us and that you've given us your spirit. So I'm capitalizing on your closeness. I'm communicating with you. I'm praying to you. I will need your help. I need your power to do the work because you said in John 14, God, that I will do greater works, that we together will do greater works, that we will transform this city and the next city and the next city in your name as you work through us and in us in power. Let's pray. God, we're thankful for um, all that you've, that you've done. We're thankful that you've, uh, that you've called us into relationship with you, that you've welcomed us into a relationship with you. God, it's amazing that you've chosen to come from heaven to earth to pay our debt that we might be set free, that we might be liberated from the bondage of sin, that we might be able to walk with you more freely and closely every day. God, our prayer is that you will help our lives to express how great you are, 
God, I pray that you will help us to respond to how low you came and how humble you are. And God, I pray that every day, every moment, as the scripture says, pray continually, we'll capitalize on how close you are to us. We love you, Lord. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen.